I'm Ruma Tenbrink, and welcome to the Children's Bedtime Stories podcast for adults. I am so excited to be reading to you my first book this evening. I really hope you enjoy this, and I hope it helps you fall asleep in a beautiful slumber and take you to a faraway land. Thank you so, so much for listening. World-renowned musician, environmentalist, and humanitarian Dave Matthews, in collaboration with popular children's book author Cleet Barrett-Smith, has conjured an exciting and poignant fantasy about a girl who must confront her past mistakes before she can save her peaceful forest community from a gigantic threat. I am honored to read to you, If We Were Giants, Little Voices Can Have a Huge Impact. Let joy begin as we read Part 2, The Tree Folk. Chapter 20 Kira's clarity of purpose returned in an instant. Tee-ha! She clutched the larger girl by the shoulders. Take everyone to our hut. Tell Loba and Maham what has happened. Tell them everything. Understand? Don't leave anything out. The puppet, the river, all of it. Tiha looked as wide-eyed and stunned as Kira felt, but she just nodded once. I can do that. But what are you going to do? Machina wailed. This is my fault. I need to go and try to help him now. Kari and Mozan stepped forward, protests on their lips, but Kira turned her back on them and fled before they could speak. Go now, she called over her shoulder. It felt maddening to be running in the opposite direction, away from Luan, but she couldn't cross the river here. Those hunters must have been watching, lying in wait. She had to put some distance between her and the takers, cross the river unnoticed, and then sneak back over on land to try and find them. Kira could not let panic seize control, the mind muscles she'd built up over the years in order to keep the memory traps at bay were helpful now. She was able to block out all other thoughts and maintain a sharp focus only on what needed to be done. Get across the water undetected. Find Luan. Bring him home. Running was a slog, her feet either sinking into soft sand or tripping over stones but she kept her eyes trained on the bend in the river ahead. If she could get around that, she would be shielded from the taker's view. Kira was also careful to head upstream, knowing that the current would push her sideways as it had Luan. She wanted to be carried closer to the spot where they had nabbed Luan, not farther away. Finally, she reached the bend and raced the length of the curved river bank, glancing behind her to make sure she was out of the field of vision of whoever might be close to where Luan had been taken. 
she turned and plunged into the river. Luan was much taller than she, so the water was over her head sooner, but she just kept moving, churning her arms and legs, struggling inch by inch to get across. There was a moment of terror when the current seemed too strong and the feeling of being overtaken by a powerful natural force washed over her again. Worse, some part of her thought there would be comfort in surrendering to the river, letting the current sweep her away from her life with the tree folk and all the problems she had caused. But she didn't give in this time. She kept fighting and soon her feet were dragging along the riverbed, and she could force one foot in front of the other until finally she was on all fours on the opposite bank, gasping for breath. She stood up and scanned the countryside to get her bearings. Kira glanced back at the other side and realized the river had dragged her past the spot where she'd been sitting with Luan and his friends. That got her moving again. She didn't want to be spotted by the takers before she could help Luan. Kira pushed herself up and ran for the tree line, working her way inside the underbrush. Concealed by the foliage, she paused to wipe the water out of her eyes and get her bearings. Her instinct was to move quickly, dash this way and that, to find where they had taken Luan. She guessed they had a camp nearby where they were bringing the game and dressing it, perhaps smoking it all so they could carry a big load of meat back to the main group. But she realized that, as difficult as it might be, she needed to prioritize stealth over speed so she walked carefully, slowly, to avoid making noise, keeping one ear cocked to the sounds of the forest, listening for clues. Just like the first time she'd set out in search of a taker's encampment, it was not difficult to locate them. Perhaps they had so much confidence in their special clothing and cruel weapons that they didn't think it necessary to take evasive measures. It seemed it was not in their nature to hide. And even if they were out of sight, the smells would have drawn Kira straight to them. The sweet and pungent odor of meat being smoked filled the air getting stronger as she took each step. Kira made it to the space the takers had cleared out for their camp, and she crouched behind a thicket of brush to observe. A couple of crude lean-tos had been slapped together for shelter, and several fire pits were set up to facilitate the meat smoking, flames roaring at each one. A group of six takers was huddled up in the middle of the clearing, having a heated discussion, making broad gestures with those eerily long arms about what to do with Luan, she had no doubt. And there he was the boy who had saved her life all those years ago, the person who had given her a family when she didn't deserve one, sitting on the ground, his wrists and ankles tied together with rope. The sight of him there, trussed up like a wild animal and completely helpless, at the mercy of these merciless men, made her feel like doing a dozen different things all at once.
cry, scream, collapse, but mostly take the cutting stone from where it was belted at her waist and charge into the middle of the clearing and gut them all. Instead, she closed her eyes and took a deep breath. She had to keep it together in order to have any chance of rescuing him. When her heart rate had calmed and she could think clearly again, she reopened her eyes and surveyed the scene. She needed to make a plan. Unfortunately, the trees on this side of the river were no good for climbing. They were short and spindly and barely had any branches at all. Getting above the hunters and pulling off a surprise rescue, as she had done before, was not an option. What else? While the hunters were in the middle of their intense meeting, she could sneak over and snatch some of the meat, then wade into the brush and try to use it to lure dangerous animals into the camp. She would likely not have to go far to find a willing participant, and Kira thought the takers would be much less menacing if there were suddenly a couple of hungry leopards prowling around the middle of their sight. But that was no good. The leopards wouldn't know they were being used to save Luan, and the tied-up piece of prey would probably seem like the best option for the big cats. What if she could stall the men somehow? Make her presence known, and then race off into the trees, lead them on a wild goose chase. When Loba heard the news from Tiha and the others, he would surely come charging down here with his hunting weapons. Would she be able to keep the takers distracted and Luan safe until reinforcements arrived? Or maybe she could... One of the takers broke away from the huddled group. He marched over to a cooking fire and pulled out a stick that had been halfway in the flames. The tip glowed an angry red. This taker then stalked over to Luan. Tell us about giant. Other side of river, he growled. Luan lifted his head and stared defiantly at the man. He protects the forest. The taker took a step closer to Luan. How many giants? Hundreds, Luan smirked. Thousands. They are everywhere. You should untie me now before they come to rescue me. They can cross the river in one step. Several of the takers glanced uneasily around the surrounding woods at that. Seriously, Luan continued, leave this place now and never come back, or they will get you. There are hundreds of giants? The hunter pointed a long gray finger back in the direction of the tree folk community. Luan nodded confidently. The hunter took a step even closer. Then why do they not harm your people? The defiant look drained from Luan's face. He clearly had not prepared an answer for that question. Another taker stepped up beside the first one. How many like you live in forest? How big is group? Kira watched Luan's eyes go wide as he figured out what they were after. He shook his head quickly and his voice became more frantic, shaky. No big group, just me and my friends, passing through, camping. We're on a journey. 
The first taker held up the stick and slowly extended it so that the red-hot ember at the tip was mere inches from Luan's face. He turned his head away from it, but the second man stepped forward and grabbed Luan by the throat to stifle his movement. Those fingers, so dry and dimply that they looked almost reptilian, dug into Luan's flesh. Luan made gagging sounds that curdled Kira's blood. No lies, the second taker snarled. We know people are living in forest. We can feel them watching. They hide from us. But they do not try to be stopping us. Must be weak, said the first taker, spitting his last word. So tell us now. How do your people protect from giant? Tell us. The man shouted as he shoved the burning stick at Luan, jabbing back and forth, nearly skewering him each time. It was then that Kira realized the big difference between this interrogation and the first one she'd seen with the takers. Red Streak had been cruel but confident. Ultimately, he was in control of himself because he knew he was in control of the situation. But these men? They were scared. It showed in their wide eyes and jittery movements and strained voices. Scared people were much more dangerous. They were capable of anything. Tell us truth! Luan just shook his head. The man bellowed in rage and lunged forward to press the fiery stick against Luan's chest while his companion held down the boy. Kira could hear it sizzle before Luan's tortured scream tore through the forest and ripped right through Kira's heart. The stick was jerked away, revealing the angry welt that had been burned into Luan's flesh. Tell us! The taker lunged again. Another terrible scream, another ugly welt. He held the stick up to Luan's face in a hand that was trembling with fear. Next one, take out your eye, he growled. That was it. Kira grabbed the cutting stone from where it was belted at her waist and held it in a death grip. She was not going to lose another brother without a fight. But as she started to stride into the clearing, come what may, the words flowed from Luan in a rush. Okay, stop, stop. I will tell you. The giant isn't real. We made him. My friends and I. We built him to scare you. It's not real. Please stop. Just stop. The takers all froze and stared at one another. One of them shook his head in disgust and jerked a thumb at Luan. Kill him. We need to pack up before the rain starts. Wait. The one with the stick leaned in, glaring in Luan's face. The giant? Someone made that? How is that possible? Ha! One of the hunters from the huddled group cried. He pointed at the man with the stick and laughed cruelly. A stream of that unfamiliar language came pouring from him, and although Kira could not understand the words, they were being delivered in a mocking tone and the message was obvious. I told you so.
The hunter with the stick did not appreciate being laughed at. He strode over, flung the burning stick at the other man, and then got close enough to take a great swing with his meaty fist, connecting with the man's jaw with a crunch. And then the entire group was at one another, punching and kicking and swinging and gouging, including the man who had been holding down Luan. This was Kira's chance. She angled around thickets of brush, keeping herself concealed, but working her way to a bush behind Luan. She was nearly there when one of the men, the leader who had emerged in the confrontation with the puppet, drew his weapon, held it over his head, and shouted a single word. Stop! Kira crouched behind a too-skinny tree and froze. At first, she thought he was talking to her, but then she realized he was bringing order back to his troop. The leader spat angry words at the group of bruised and bleeding men who grumbled and hung their heads, but separated. Then the man in charge approached Luan. Kira was close enough to see tears in Luan's eyes, and she knew they were as much about shame as they were about pain. When the leader was in front of his captive, he said in a very matter-of-fact tone, We will destroy your giant, then destroy your people. He withdrew a blade from his belt. Kira braced herself to leap out swinging with her cutting stone, when the first fat raindrop fell with a splash on her nose. More raindrops quickly followed, pattering the dry leaves on the ground. The hunters looked to the sky, then ducked their heads and covered themselves with blankets. In an instant, it became a downpour, the likes of which Kira had never seen, never even heard tales of. A great clap of thunder announced its arrival, and the storm built with astonishing speed. Soon, it was like she was standing underneath a waterfall. The forest floor turned into a web of rivulets and streams. The hunters cried out as the lean-tos collapsed and their gear started to wash away. They all scrambled around the camp, scooping up their stuff and frantically shouting orders. Kira raced to Luan, gripped the soaking wet rope, and hacked away at the knots that bound him. He simply sat there stunned and studied her through the sheets of rain. Finally, the ropes gave away and he was free. She tugged at his arm and he followed, stumbling at first, but quickly regaining his agility. As they dashed away from the camp, they heard the hunters yelling at them. Screaming in rage, Kira charged ahead, wading straight through the brush instead of taking the time to try and find a path, thorns tearing at her skin. Kira glanced behind them and saw they were being pursued by all six of the takers, the big men slashing at the thicket with their long weapons as they trudged toward them. She pulled Luan and they hurried onward, twisting this way and that around trees and thick patches of underbrush, but it was becoming increasingly difficult to find stable ground, their feet being sucked into muddy patches and deep puddles. Finally, they made it to the river bank. Although visibility was murky, Kira could instantly tell that wading across the river was no longer an option. 
The deluge, as forceful as a bucket of water dumped on a flat rock, had already made the river swell with churning white water, and all manner of logs and driftwood were smashing against one another as they raced down the raging current. Oh no! Luan cried. They could hear, even over the chaos of the boiling river, the takers crashing and hacking through the brush behind them, close. Kira scanned the riverbank. They could not be caught on this side with the takers. And that's when she got her idea. She pulled fiercely on Luan's arm. Follow me! They raced along the river's edge together. After a few moments, the takers burst through the brush and screamed bloody oaths at them in that strange tongue. Kira did not even look back. She had eyes only for her destination. When they reached the ferry post, Luan shouted, Do you know how to work the raft? No time! Kira yelled back. She doubted the raft police system would function under these conditions anyway. Instead, she leaped from the shore as far as she could and grabbed onto the rope with both hands. Her body swung forward, and she lunged with her legs to hook her ankles over the line. Hanging upside down now, the raging river just a few feet below her head, she worked the rope hand over hand, sliding her feet down its length, and started to inch her way across the water to the other side. Luan followed. Their skill in tree climbing helped tremendously. All those years of trusting grip and balance and lithe muscles to get them around but their progress still seemed agonizingly slow, especially with the takers racing along the shore at them, bellowing war cries. Kira, look out! Luan screamed. She turned her head and looked upriver. Rushing right toward them was an enormous log, the sharp ends of broken branches jutting out at odd angles along its length. It was going to smash right into them. Kira pulled with tired arms and legs, lifting her body and arching her back so that she was as flush with the rope as she could get. The log blasted by underneath, with inches to spare. One of the jagged branch edges scraped a line of white, hot pain across her calf. When it had passed, she tilted her head to look behind. Good news, Luan had survived the rampaging log. Bad news, the takers had reached the ferry post. Kira looked forward again and redoubled her efforts to pull herself across the line. She was roughly halfway across the river. The rope sagged as a taker jumped on the line and started to make his way toward them. As the line drooped, Kira sank dangerously close to the water. Another runaway log would kill her. Something whistled past her ear. When it clattered among the river stones on the opposite shore, she realized it was an arrow. She closed her eyes, knew she couldn't control any of that. Blocking out the bloodthirsty screams of the takers and the roar of the white water, frothing below her, she breathed in and out as she worked the rope, hand over hand, slide, feet, down, repeat. Finally, her feet knocked up against the ferry pole. She had made it. Kira dropped to the ground. Her arms and legs were shaky and weak from exertion, but she managed to reach up to help Luan do the same. They were both shivering, soaked from the downpour as well as the spray of the raging river. One of the takers was still working his way across the rope, 
Merely a few yards away, four others had hopped onto the raft and were starting across, trying to keep their balance as the rough water rocked it back and forth. Only a leader stood on the opposite shore, that curious bow in his hands. Kira and Luan clasped hands and turned to run for the forest. If they could just make it into the trees, they would have the advantage. No way would the takers be able to find them among the branches. But after only a few steps, Kira's leg cramped and she tumbled to the ground, slamming her knee into a rock. Luan pulled her to her feet, but she was limping now, and even though he was strong enough to help drag her, they still had so much ground to cover. She looked back at the raft. The takers would be on the riverbank in just moments. She and Luan weren't going to make it. Arrgh! Another war cry, but this one came from their side of the river. Lobo burst out from the forest, holding his largest cutting stone overhead with both hands, running full speed toward them, his long hair and beard streaming out behind him, mouth open in an enraged scream and eyes wild. It was a terrifying sight and the most beautiful thing that Kira had ever seen. He rushed right past them and brought the cutting stone down on the ferry post with a great clunk. The rope snapped in two cleanly, and the taker who'd been shimmying across it was dumped into the rolling white water. Without the rope to anchor them, the men on the raft were swept away and out of sight in an instant. The leader on the other side of the river looked downstream, stunned. The bow hung uselessly from his grip at his side. Finally, the taker turned and regarded the trio at the opposite ferry post. He cupped his hands around his mouth and shouted over the roar of the river. I will return, he bellowed. He took a deep breath and added, We will return. Then he stalked across the river bank and disappeared into the brush. (laughs) 